And this is not just a hit on Kaseya. With Vambu, it was the same. But honestly, if you look at, for example, the latest Citrix bug that caused an outage with Pulse VPN, I'm sorry, but these, these vulnerabilities, these are not advanced. Not advanced at all. This is Locking Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. This week, we're switching our planned episode because since we last spoke with y'all, things changed. Uh, like, we've been talking about ransomware for a few weeks now, right? Well, just a couple of weeks ago, we saw one of the most significant attacks in recent history. Let's jump into it. Our main story today concerns Kaseya VSA, the popular software tool that suffered a devastating ransomware attack right before the July 4th holiday. Just hours before many American workplaces began emptying out to start what was supposed to be a three-day weekend, Kaseya put out an urgent notice to its customers, which read, in part, we are experiencing a potential attack against the VSA that has been limited to a small number of on-premise customers only as of 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time today. We are in the process of investigating the root cause of the incident with an abundance of caution, but we recommend that you immediately shut down your VSA server until you receive further notice from us. As cybersecurity researchers would soon learn, this was the beginning of a cascading ransomware attack in which cybercriminals pushed a malicious Kaseya VSA update to many machines that belong to managed service providers, or MSPs. MSPs, if, if you don't know the name or, or the acronym, they're actually quite common. They often provide IT support to small to medium-sized businesses that do not have a devoted employee for networking or cybersecurity issues. They are the first line of support for so many like dentists' offices and independent newspapers and retail shops and far more. Now, to provide IT support to those businesses, many MSPs rely on remote monitoring and management tools, which kind of simply they, they let them log into a machine remotely to try and solve whatever problem a user is having. One of those types of remote monitoring and management tools is Kaseya VSA. In this attack, by pushing a malicious update of Kaseya VSA, the cybercriminals managed to not only hit the MSPs using Kaseya VSA, but they also hit the businesses that those MSPs support. The attack, like we said, cascaded down. The Washington Post has already called this the single biggest global ransomware attack on record. Hundreds of grocery stores in Sweden shut down for several days. Schools in New Zealand warned their staff that their computers may be inaccessible. But as we'll talk about today, the vulnerability within Kaseya VSA that led to the attack was discovered beforehand by a group of volunteers at the Dutch Institute for Vulnerability Disclosure, or DIVD. The race to fix that vulnerability was too slow. Today, to help us learn about the Kaseya VSA vulnerability, how it was found, what immediate steps were taken, and whether there are other vulnerabilities within similar pieces of software, we're speaking with Victor Jevers, chair of DIVD. Victor. Welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. 
We're so happy to have you here, Victor, and thank you for being here. Let's just get right into it, because one of the things I said at the top of the show, right, is, uh, is explaining DIVD. I think folks should first understand what DIVD is. So, so who are y'all, what do you do, and, and how do you do it, and why? So we are a nonprofit foundation run by volunteers who um, do security research and trying to report uh, vulnerabilities to system owners, to owners from you know uh, online systems. We do this in our spare time next to our uh, day job, and our mission is to to make the internet a little bit safer by finding every vulnerability there that's out there and try to getting it patched. That sounds so huge, by the way, just finding every vulnerability out there. I just want to kind of zero in on that. Is that as huge as it sounds? It is as huge as it sounds. I started with this this project in 2016 called the GDI Foundation, which is now run by approximately 13 or 14 volunteers from different countries. We specialize in, as we're known in the security industry, as low-hanging fruit, scanning for known vulnerabilities looking for known configuration issues like open databases, systems that are not properly secured, which are already uh, indexed by OSINT scrollers like Shodan, Census, ZoomEye. So the real low-hanging fruit. Next to that, we've been experimenting in how can we get organizations to fix these issues as soon as possible, which way is the best way to approach this. So actually exploring the boundaries of, for us, called responsible disclosure, in America, they like to know that as coordinated vulnerability disclosure. And to see how far we are allowed to go, how much we can go to be helpful and to get those things fixed without getting in trouble, without you know end up in jail or getting a lawsuit. And that concept we took in the Netherlands the same year, though we are a little bit more protected for the law. The public prosecutor here knows that everything that we do is in the best interest and there's an uh, interest for the safety of our community services. So we are we can operate a little bit quicker and swifter here than anywhere else in the world. So that's why we started the DIVD. We're now, at this moment, a group of 50 volunteers, of which are six or seven are researchers and CSERT handlers, case handlers. What we do is scan the internet. We keep an eye out for vulnerabilities that are on the horizon. We do vulnerability research ourselves. And we keep our eye open for anything that, you know, that looks suspicious uh, that we need to inform people of. And that's basically our entire operation. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. Again, it sounds sounds enormous. And and in that work that you folks do, right, you inform people of of things you find. Shortly after, I think everyone was reporting on the the Kaseya VSA attack as it was happening, we saw that on DIVD's blog, someone wrote that, that you folks found something that you found something about Kaseya. And I remember that the blog says that um that DIVD actually, right, that they could, uh, quote, they could react very swiftly because we were already running a broad investigation into backup and system administration tooling, right, and their vulnerabilities. And one of the products we have been investigating is Kaseya VSA. So I have kind of two questions here. Um, let's just start with the first one. Why was DIVD already looking into Kaseya VSA? So when we scan for the internet for systems that are online, we want to have a, like a broad overview from what is out there. So you have your normal websites, you have collaboration portals, and you have, of course, also things like administrative portals. And these administrative portals are meant for system administrators. So we are 
mostly interested in those because these are the things that if people with bad intention would targetly first, you know, they will try to get in with default credentials. They will look if there's there any known vulnerabilities there. And these, these MSP panels, these administrative panels, we have been investigating these already, a couple of these already, I think a month or two ago, we took a look at the example. Vembu was one of them uh, where we found some vulnerabilities. And actually, from that moment on, we made a list of, okay, if we were cyber criminals and we had bad intentions, we will be targeting these things, right? So we made a list of the most used MSP tools and Caseo was, was one of them. And the security researcher who found the flaw found this issue, I think, within five or 10 minutes. He came home from a long working day. He came home. He was about to cook dinner. And was like, yeah, I'm going to you know, mess around with the software as he explains it himself. Within in a couple of minutes, he found the first issue that gives them remote code execution. And that's that's the point now where we say, okay, now we start building a case. We're preparing. We're going to start informing the vendor. Before we end, uh, inform the vendor, we take a quick look around if we see if we can find any implementations of this software online. Well, there were quite a lot of those. So when we contact the vendor, we not only come bring a problem and explain that he has a problem, but also show the scope of the problem. And what after that issue is fixed and there's a patch, making sure that we get those patches on those systems as well. Because it's very easy to find, uh, to do security research and find a problem and then register a CV and then they tell the vendor, okay, thank you, goodbye. But that's the issue. The DIVD is always running behind already shared vulnerabilities. So for us to be in this position is like a more luxurious position because now we're in the driver's seat. We're in the beginning phase, so we can take our time to do our investigation, prepare you know, a good case, and then try to fix it in one time with the vendor. But it's took a little bit longer than, than we guessed. I wanted to go back to something you said there, that this vulnerability was found by a volunteer just kind of in their off time. Is that right? Like they... It's always in our off time. Yeah. Right, so that's our right. <laughs> yeah. Our, our volunteers, we're doing this right. next to our day job, right? So yeah. this is all passion and love for the craft and for the work. And this is also the only reason why we were able to, when the when it very went very wrong on the 3rd of July, we were able to work all night till early in the morning to start notificating, send notifications out to warn everyone, this is, this is going very wrong, switch off your system now. Because we did the research before, we knew where these systems were, which ISPs we had to contact. And this is, this is what we feel very responsible. We feel for responsible for finding a vulnerability, making sure it gets patched, that there's a patch for it, and make sure that it doesn't exist in the wild anymore. Because only after that, we were we are willing to, or able to share the full details of the, of the issue. Because we are an institute, so we also want to show what we find and show others how, you know, how we work and how these issues still can exist. But to be able to do that, you have to clean up the mess first before you start sharing that kind of information. So that yeah. puts us in a, yeah, in a very work-intensive work workflow. Yeah, I can only imagine. Help me understand what that process is like, right? Because you said there's a lot, right? There's a lot that goes into it. And it seems like there's also, right, very firm processes that you've already built up. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not like a shot in the dark. You folks have done this. This is what you do every single day. So when this vulnerability was found, right? Help me understand how everyone like prioritized, right? What are the next steps? What do we do? Take me through the timeline. 
Yeah, I'll take you to Zanem. So it was the 1st of April, which is uh, an April's full days in in our country. In the <laughs> Same Netherlands. here, yeah. So, so, so we just told in the Slack channel from where all the researchers are from, well, <laughs> you know, I just found an, a nice vulnerability in, in a Kaseya VSA product. So we were like, okay, great, you know, do this after the weekend. And he was like, no, this is serious. So that what we do, we we open a case, we get some other security engineers on board, and uh, we say, like, okay, let's if we can find a copy, that we get our own copy of it, you know, uh, a trial version to run. We set up a lab, then we have to go through the process of uh, creating a fingerprint because we want to scan the entire internet. We want to look to every web server in the world to have that specific fingerprint, so we know where those panels are exactly. So I think the day later it was within a day we were able to scan all internet-facing instances of, of, of that thing. And it took us two days to start the identification of the, uh, the possible victims. And these were the victims mm-hmm. that had the on-prem versions. So we look at the information, the IP information, the WISO information, which internet provider is behind it. Is there some information in the panel itself? Or we can get it from the certificate and start building up information from there. Because we took a little bit of time investigating, we were also able to fingerprint and get information like a customer, unique customer ID code from the instances. So this really helped building an archive for when uh, when we when we had our first meeting with Kaseya, which was on the 6th of April. We introduced the, the issue, we explained it to them, and we also had a nice file that says, okay, these are all on-prem implementations plus your own test environments that we found here. And these are the customer ID codes. So now comes the question, Kaseya, do you want to inform your customers that there is an issue with your product and there will be a patch soon? Or do you want us to do it? And Kaseya said at this moment, no, these are our customers that we find this, this is our responsibility. We will take care of that. And they were going through that list and they found some issues, of course, because some of the customers bought this software years ago and didn't buy an, uh, an upgrade license. So they had to say, okay, there's a small group of customers that still should run an update, but they don't have a, you know, they don't have a license for it. But we find this problem so important. We'll make sure they get a, you know, they get a patch as well. So we're going through that period of they created a, a test, a uh-huh. test patch. We will deploy it on our on our machine, and then Witsu will what will keep go through it to see if you know if it fixed the issue, and it will not introduce new issues. And in the meantime, we were testing patches. Witsu kept finding new vulnerabilities by digging deeper and deeper into the system because we mm-hmm. finally had our own you know version running in our test lab. So this is how it went from one zero day till seven or eight eventually in that time period until it was almost finished. And we knew from the beginning when we had the conversation with Kaseya, this is not going to be a week thing or a 30-day thing. There are enough challenges there in getting the issue fixed because these organizations build up you know, technical depth. They have their own quality assurance. They were able to, to test their own patches very quickly on their own SaaS solution because they have a rollback mechanism. But mm. if, you, uh, if you do start distributing patches for on-prem, then that burden will fall on the administrators of those things. And a rollback would not be that easy. So it took them quite a lot of effort and time and more and more expertise to get the right patch out, to get, um, get it tested, get it through quality insurance. And then disaster struck. And that on 2 of July, everywhere signals were going around that uh, a ransomware group was attacking these instances. And yeah, the advice from Kaze and also for us is there is only one thing you can do at this moment. If you're not hacked, you know, please switch off your machines directly or, you know, put it behind a firewall so there's no internet connection anymore. 
the, the most interesting part is that we were able, when we contacted Kaseya, the thing that we did is that we are in, a, um, in certain groups, uh, C-shirt groups and other network groups, where we send out a TOP Amber notification from, listen, our researcher found an issue with, your, with the VSA product. You should monitor traffic on these ports for you know, suspicious traffic. But no, no, there isn't. There is a severe issue going on. Please put it behind a firewall or get it firewall. That message was sent to our Dutch GovCert. It was sent to other network group and trusted network partners. So that is the reason why in the Netherlands the amount of victims was much lower than before. And we're now going through the scanning data because we already scanned from off the two of April. So we know how many instances were initially there online versus the, the evening for us when it went eh, when it went wrong for the Kaseya users. So that these are the things that we're still investigating to get to get a good timeline from how many systems were already put offline or behind a firewall or behind a VPN and which one were still exposed. To help listeners just kind of understand that scope and as it declined, like you said, as you were doing continuous scans day after day, help us understand what were those numbers like day one versus like day four? So the first scan, which was in the post Kaseya update number three, we named it very politically correct baseline scan number one, which was actually just two of April. (laughs) At that moment, we had 2,238 instances, of which were 84 in the Netherlands. And uh, of the night where it went wrong, so the night that we start sending uh, warnings out from, be careful, you know, um, mm-hmm. people are now ransom- ransomwareing these, these instances, about 1,600 were already not available anymore worldwide. And in the Netherlands, only 28 were still left online. So there, there's a significant difference. So it kind of worked. Our alert kind of <laughs> worked. But if you see that there are victims, still are vic- organizations are victims because they were not aware. They were not informed. Somehow our confidential message from, you know, didn't reach them. For me personally, uh, uh, I was a little bit frustrated about it. I said, okay, we lost the race. And we lost the race because, okay, we're just um, an amateur running crew and we're getting bypassed by top athletes. Well, that's fine. You know, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. But we were really like, for, okay, we already sent out a very a notification on the 6th of April. So I would have liked to see much less victims or yeah. no victims at all. So this is one of those things that we're going to look, okay, do we still are going to rely on our trusted network partners and our trusted network connections? Or do we need to take the next step and say, just send out notifications to everyone or just you know, make it publicly available where we'll say, we see product X, if you have it connected to, uh, if it's exposed to the internet uh, for your servers, then please switch it off or put a firewall. Is that something that we have to explore in the future? Because the GDI Foundation did that. Uh, we did that in like, I think in 2017 and 18, when those MongoDBs were ransomware, uh, oh, got yeah. ransom attacks all the time. Yeah. We sent out generic warnings to all, all C-certs and all GovCerts. Just, you know, heads up, if your customer is running a MongoDB with this port exposed, just, you know, do them a favor and just firewall it. So that, that's the thing that we're going to explore with the DIVD, if, if that's something that we can do in the future to do it better. Why has DIVD been reluctant to take that path before now? Because like you said, the DGI Foundation in 2017 did that a, a little bit more of a, of a public press, right? A public push. Why the different tactics, I guess? I think that has to do with because of this, the, the sensitivity of it. The GDI Foundation has always been very bold 
You've seen, mm-hmm. we've seen they've been in the news because of open databases in China. We have done other cases there that sometimes are being asked from, is this the right thing? Is this not, is this not a bridge too far? And with the DIVD, we have very strict rules. We train young security engineers, young uh, ICT students, how they can help. And we have a very strict code of conduct. So within our code of conduct, we have that we don't share zero-day information, period, because of the risk that it brings, uh, especially because this is not uh, zero-day information that can hinder someone else's operation. So we're very careful in that. But what we did do is we sent to the organizations that can handle this kind of informa- information in a trusted way, we did inform them. So now the, now the next question is we have to... Now we have to do a retrospect and see if this happens again. And this is going to happen again because there are so many other (laughs) issues out there. We have to do a a test run to see what works best. What works for everyone, what works for everyone the most comfortable. Is that a full disclosure? No, I don't think so. But a limited disclosure that shows, you know, this kind of products have these kind of issues maybe can do a better job than we do now. And we are the DIVD is a young organization and it will be very naive not to learn from this. We put so much of our own free time in this to do, you know, to try to make the internet safer. So if if there is something that we can change on our side to prevent a few less victims, then that will be happy. That will be, you know, a good step forward. I am so fascinated by this, by the way. I just want to like make it extremely clear because there's the attack, which hit a lot of folks, and it could have been more devastating if you folks weren't doing the the behind-the-scenes work and helping people out. And that's the kind of stuff we see that we understand. I think the public understands, right? Companies hit, particularly, right, the grocery chain, I believe in Sweden, called Co-op. They shut down. They weren't open, which is a thing that we now have to understand is is a consequence of a cyber attack, which I think people haven't seen for a while, but but now they do. But this effect here, that this attack is so big and the way that the vulnerabilities were addressed and the fact that there were still victims after that, even though the vulnerability was found on April 1st, that that whole process is leading to a potential shakeup in the way that you folks do your best work. I think that's fascinating. I think that's something that people just don't see, you know? Yeah, I have no other way to put it. To the fact that sometimes something can change a mode of thinking. I think that's huge. I think that's enormous. I wanted to go back, though, to something you were saying, which is like, hey, this is going to happen again, right? Like, this is probably going to happen again. And part of that, right, I, I wanted to go back to the blog that you folks write. You wrote a piece, actually, on July 4th. And you wrote that, uh, that DIVDs, again, this is you here, the research into these vulnerabilities is part of a larger project in which we investigate vulnerabilities in tools for system administration, specifically the administrative interfaces of these applications. These are products like Vembu, BDR, Pulse VPN, Fortinet VPN, to name a few. We are focusing on these types of products because we spotted a trend where more and more of these products that are used to keep networks safe and secure are showing structural weaknesses. So that trend where products that keep networks safe actually have weaknesses themselves, that sounds very serious to me. So can we get some perspective on that problem? Yeah. So for people that are, are longer in InfoSec, longer in this industry, there is nothing new. The biggest issue that we see is, I thought that we were going on a, that since 2016, we were heading in the right direction. And if we look now at the quality of the code, if we see how it's implemented, how it's being executed. It looks like that 
everything that we have built for, we have like we have OWASP, security knowledge frameworks that can help help you write better code, more secure code. We have frameworks that can be used to audit. To be honest, if anyone, if any large organization that use this kind of software, right, for production reasons, how is it possible that these expensive large pen testing companies did not find this? That is, for me is mind-boggling. And this is not just to hit on Kaseya. With Vanbu, it was the same. But honestly, if you look at, for example, the latest Citrix bug that caused an outage with Pulse VPN, I'm sorry, but these, these vulnerabilities, these are not advanced. Not advanced at all. And now, come, now beckons the question, these things could have been discovered much earlier if these organizations would allow third-party experts to review, do a code review at least, or to review their products. We see this trend because we are focusing on, because we, this is what we have been you know, warning for years. We understand that it is convenient to have your administrative panels, your RDP, your VNC, your shared hosting panels like Plask and all that kind of things for doing maintenance and uh, administrative to have directly connected to the internet. We understand, but, but it, is, it is simply not safe because there is always... There's always an issue with the software. And if software is that, that secure, most people don't want to work with it anymore because it's such a hassle to work with. So I think the next step will be, where's the line? We are seeing these signals very clearly that the quality of the products that are all online and that are exposed to the internet are not up to par for it now, for the, the current situation that we are in. Mm-hmm. Most people have to work, organizations have to work at from home. So these remote Access tools and remote uh, working tools are becoming more and more important. Organizations are really relying on this. I think for attackers, this is the best way in. Uh, next, of course, sending phishing emails huh, that will always stay exist to make to make users click on links uh, because we cannot learn them to uh, stop learning to do that. <laughs> but th- this this second thing, this thing is going to this thing is going to screw us over in the long term. It's going to damage the trust that we have in using the internet for important stuff. And I think it's our, our duty to do something to make sure that the internet stays safe enough for the next generation for something leaving behind because we're already leaving the, the next generation with political challenges, challenges in society, environmental challenges, economical challenges. Can we please leave a communication network behind that is still, you know, that I can still trust to work on? Especially as we are our requested friendly, you know, also for the environment, please work more from home. Then it has to be possible. And if we don't get this fixed somehow quick, this is going to hurt for a longer time. So I think next to what we are doing, we are very reactive. We are responding to these kind of things. But I, I think there should be stricter policies around what is acceptable and huh? the, the product responsibility of these organizations that make this kind of software that they take every step in the book that they can take to make sure it is not so easy. Because the products that we have seen till now, they're not good enough. They're not safe enough. I wanted to dig into what you said there, right? That you want, maybe it's improved policies, but what we're looking for, right, is to fix this, is to fix this problem. And I wanted to dig into that. You said one of the, one of the right, one of the ways might be policies. One of the ways is you know, just more responsibility on behalf of the of the makers of the products. Maybe it's inviting third parties to review code, do a simple one. How do we fix it? You know, I'm sure that it sounds like you've thought about this a ton. So let's get in there. What are your thoughts on how do we fix this? Well, 
first of all, we have to we have to address the scale thing, right? There are now five Dutch people sacrificing their free time to do this work and trying to service a large group. We have some volunteers internationally that are really running behind all the known vulnerabilities. But the biggest challenges that we have, we miss scale. We miss, we, we cannot scale in broadness if it comes to, there are so many security researchers that could have contributed to this to make it work, but they don't dare to do it because in America, the, the legal system does not protect them at all. They can be held liable. They can, they can fear for lawsuits. So they're bound to the scopes of what book bounties allow or you know, to the scope of which a, a pen test allows. And that scope limitation makes it very difficult to get the real things out because the, the attackers, they don't have a scope. They don't care about the law. They don't care about the rules or your feelings. They will, do, they will work as hard to get their target. So I think to get these security issues fixed, you need to rethink the way that we do, we do security research and how we're going to protect security researchers so they can go to any organization and say, hey, you have an issue here. Please fix it within that you know, acceptable time period. Google has shown with their, with their, with their project, with their zero-day project, that for very heavy, complex issues, you can have 90 days. In other cases, it's 30 days. So there are already industry standards. In the past, we had responsible disclosure. For some organizations in the United States, they preferred a coordinated vulnerability disclosure where the more responsibilities were also addressed to the organization who received the information. And I think there will be iterations on that. That's the step forward. Another way is, and this is a little bit harsh, but this is to address these companies that make software that are not suitable for modern use. And what I mean is if your software does not run properly behind a VPN or a firewall and is used for remote access, and then you should ask yourself as a customer, do you want to buy those products? Or do you want to be serviced by an ISP or an MSP that uses that kind of software? Or do you want to do a business with an ISP or an MSP that exposes their, their panels to the internet and have, have them accessible from anywhere in the world? So I, I think we are slowly growing not to not to a shame naming and shaming solution, but more like, you know, let's be a little bit more open about this. These organizations operate in this way and these operations work in that way. In the end, let the customer decide. Let the customer decide what is the best, best option. And I think that's the only way to create an incentive for these other organizations that are falling behind, that are not doing the right thing, to step up their game. Kaseya did try. From the moment that we came in, they really tried. And they were, yeah, they were, had, to, had to try to do a catch-up game because of the technical depth, because of the challenges in their, in their software, in the way that they managed with vulnerabilities, and were constantly added new things to it which resulted that it took long, much longer than they originally would like, of course. And then getting hit by, by such an attack, that must be like, you know, that's, that's as we call it, the gut punch here. This is where you, you know, this is where, where you strike out. This is where, you know, okay, whatever step you do, it will never be enough at this moment. But looking back and what, uh, what they have learned in just three months, it's very interesting what the organization or the company is going to do next. What steps are going to are they going willing to take to prevent this from happening ever again? I think there there is the the, the interesting lesson. And also, if you want to be a, a market leader, only market leaders can you know learn from their mistakes openly and willing to learn and also willing to share. 
I remember very well a couple of years ago that Microsoft claimed that Linux and open source were, were like a cancer. And only after a few years, they, they say, well, open source and Linux, big heart. So every organization can change and can learn. So I, I think that there's still hope. There's still hope that we get this right, uh, but we have to start acting quicker. You know, the time for endless debates and discussions about what is ethical to do, what is the right thing to do. I think we passed that time. I think now is the time to, to clean up the mess that we still have and to make sure not only cleaning up the mess, uh, the, closing down the leaks, is also preventing from new stuff <laughs> entering the market. So no more software that does not pass certain safety checks anymore. I think that will be a, that will be a first good thing. And still, if you want to have an open market, that's fine, but then you should start start using some real good rating quali- qualifications. So that when you buy a certain product that you can see it was tested by these independent organizations and they give this rating to it. So the customers know what they get instead of the shining marketing promotion websites where, they, where you see our product is cyber secure, you know, military grade encryption, blah, blah, <laughs> all, the, all that kind of stuff. Exactly, you start to laugh. We know exactly that we have to start you know, we have to start cutting down on the marketing bullshit and just say really how the product is. You know, you don't always have to be the best in something. Good is good enough and secure enough. Uh, that's fine. You know, be, be open about it. And also say we have this organization tested our code. We have this organization tested our SaaS solutions. If you are willing to do all of that and then you show good faith, also good faith to, to the market and to your customers. And that's how we're going to solve this issue, I think. That rings so true that everyone feels that they have to be a quote-unquote market leader, right? Or they have to be a, a leader in this, a leader in that, right? I used to report, uh, I used to be a, a journalist just for like covering like Silicon Valley news and every company, you know, tells you the same thing. Like, hey, we're the market leader in this, we're the market leader in that. But that doesn't mean anything to the customer. <laughs> like, it's non-substantial. There's nothing in there. And I, I just, I, I completely understand what you're saying. I wanted to actually go back to the Kaseya vulnerability and understand when you find a vulnerability, and this is probably true of all of them, when you find a vulnerability, isn't part of the race to disclose that, to work with the vendor, isn't part of that race that someone else might know about it, that a cyber criminal might know about it. And with the Kaseya vulnerability, do we know how our evil, the group that actually did the attack, do we know how they knew? So this is an interesting question. I just complain how easy this vulnerability could be being found by others. Right. So the attack that was executed by Revo is, you know, I'm not going to say a downplay. It's done professional. This is, you know, this is how sh- how attackers should do it. But the vulnerability that they used to get in, yeah, that's not the, the advanced part. Mm-hmm. So our 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 biggest worry is when we find vulnerabilities in these products, and there are a lot of them. Our biggest worry is like how we get that as soon as possible, like almost immediately. So the moment that a security researcher finds something, like if it's in the middle of the night, the group gets pinged and we start working. You know, it is, it is not nice for our family that we just you know uh, have to leave the bed and start working, but that your own call. So the moment that the vulnerability is found, we start running and making sure that we have everything we have so we can contact that organization and 
show everything that we found. So not only the issue, but where it is in the wild, because that's for us the most important thing. If there's a vulnerability and no one has it exposed to the internet, yeah, it still needs to be fixed, right? But for us, then the priority is a little bit lower. We don't have to, we have to not have to stay up all night. Mm-hmm. But when it's exposed to the internet, yeah, we know that this, these attacking groups they are already much further with their investigation. Maybe they already, maybe they already landed on those new products, and yeah. they're just waiting for us to see, you know, when we finally show up. So this is that. This is that. This is a race we can never win. But that's okay. What we can do is is to do our best and to be as helpful for the organization that can make the difference, and to show if if you are willing to work with us together. To do to a good job, that we will help you until it's done. We are not leaving you behind. You know, if uh, it is vulnerability is being used in the wild, and you you know the shit hits the fan, and everyone is wailing you on the company that you are that you didn't do good. We'll be there. You know, we will be helping you with the IIR process, or we'll do the t- testing for you. We not leave your site until it's done because your customers they need to be be safe as soon as possible. We need to make sure that everyone, no one stays behind, that everything gets patched, and that this vulnerability gets eradicated. It needs, it needs to go. So this, this is always the, um, this is always the, 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 the pressure that you have, as we, we call ourselves, you know, compared with a, like a, a volunteer fire, fire brigade, right? So yeah. your house is on fire, no one's there to help you, and so suddenly random people from the internet with a Dutch accent, show up. <laughs> we put out the fire in your house. We stay there, you know, we help you that you get that you get the professional help that you need. And then everything is under control, then we leave. I think that concept that works. I think this is the best, this is the best way that we can contribute to a safer internet and so also to a safer society, right? I don't see a better way to do it as we do now, but we're still learning. You know, I'm doing this for almost 21 years and every day I learn new things. Because things change, society change, cultures change, the rules of engagement change, and it's a, it's a constant learning process. We did came from far. I remember the early days that were that I was doing this. Things like responsible disclosure were only, you know, this was only a draft. Things like bug bounties didn't exist, and it was very difficult to go to an organization and say, "Hey, you have an, you have an issue, you have a problem here, mm-hmm. and I'm here to help." Nowadays, it is easier. And I think the good thing of this case is that it showed that we're doing hundreds of these cases per year. So this gives you an idea what happens if we fail one time. What happens if we fail a dozen times or a hundred times? What would happen then? That's the question that that I think that is the reason that we push so hard until there is a, a permanent solution for this. Wow, yeah. I think that metaphor you used was so good, right? That you're a volunteer fire brigade. Because I think it also puts into perspective for folks what you're going up against, right? You're a volunteer fire brigade and you're trying to put out fires. And as you were saying, you know, when I asked like, hey, do we know how our evil knew about this vulnerability? That's that, that sounds like it's kind of like me asking a volunteer fire brigade. They're like being like, you know, did, did the arsonist know that matches exist, you know? <laughs> and it's like, yes. <laughs> These well, are most likely yes. Yeah. <laughs> also, you have to be very fair in comparison. You know, um, we do this. You know, next to our day job, and mm-hmm. the the, mm-hmm. the people that that are the attackers, they are professional. They are probably yes. you know nation state sponsored, or they have unlimited funds. They have business targets to get. 
right? Yes. So for, for us, we don't have a business target. We have just like, we can do whatever we can do. Everything is in scope, you know, and, and try to, to catch as much as we can. But we're, yeah, we are still bound to a time zone. At some, at some point at mm-hmm. night, we have to go to bed and go to sleep. And this is about the part where I think is the, we have more volunteers in different time zones. This could have been done even more effective. I am sure that if we had security researchers that we knew, for example, in Miami, that are physically, you know, only a few couple hundred meters away from the Kaseya building, mm-hmm. that it would have helped. It would have helped if we had literally uh, boots on the floor in that area. So there I see that we can we can do something. The, the, the way that we do our research, the way that we do our responsible disclosures or coordinated vulnerability disclosures is not in- unique. It is not difficult to learn. And I would like to see that we can somehow make this work better, make this work more distributed, you know, more hands on deck. And that this, but this way we can, you know, compress the timeline a little bit smaller the next time. That will be great. Yeah, I think we all feel that way, right? We want these things to run more smoothly. I would like to see a day where we don't need as many folks like you. We don't need as many volunteers because we've put the onus on the companies themselves and we've provided enough information that, like you said, the customer can choose. We're far from that, I believe, though. It starts with education, right? So the, the next thing that we saw is that we find it very difficult to train young people with the skills that they are learning in the schools. Mm-hmm. And we found that that the education that they get, there were missing gaps. There were missing gaps in security research. We, we might, the biggest part that we find missing was ethics. So mm-hmm. we were like, okay, we're going to open our own DIVD academy. We're going to make that the materials are going to be accessible to everyone. So every country can start training their own volunteers. Because I think the only way to solve this quickly is getting more people on board, getting more people to help, and fix local problems with locals. And there's not, you know, uh, only a local knows the cultural rules or the business rules better than one than anyone else. And I, I think there's the short-term win there and the long-term win. Yeah, we have to make sure that the new developers today don't write insecure code anymore because that is still happening. And if still unsecure code is written, that we have easy frameworks and tools that will fish those things out and say, hey, this is not healthy to do deploy. Please, you know, make sure that you keep these standards. And here is a good example how you do it right. Because I still find online tutorials where you to learn to program Python or C or other stuff. And there's still security is an afterthought or it's not even there. Or there are even security mistakes in the examples that we see online. So this is the part that worries me. Because everything that we have learned in the last 15 years, most people move on to a new position. They were software developer or system engineer before, and they become a manager. And a new generation comes in and makes the same mistakes as we did before. So we have to make sure that we close that loop as well. So yeah, education, policies, transparent and fair system to weigh the, the quality of software and products and distribute, you know, distribute workforce and knowledge on a global scale. I, th- I think that's a nice challenge for 2021. I think we can do it. I hope you can. Victor, that is all I had for today. I just wanted to thank you again so much for coming on today's show. Thank you for all your time, David. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when this time, yes, we will talk about critical infrastructure security. 
following two targeted attacks on water treatment facilities in the United States and the unrelated ransomware attacks on Colonial Pipeline, JBS, and Ireland's Health Service Executive, we learn, after speaking with Leslie Carhart, that maybe the sky isn't falling. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Malwarebytes Labs at www.blog.malwarebytes.com. And please, if you like what you heard today, follow and review our show.